fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And today we are sitting here talking about one of... I don't know. It's probably my favorite sci-fi book of all time. Yeah. yeah Ender's definitely. Game. Yeah. So we're, we're <laughs> it's doing... high enough on my top five to yeah, exactly. consider it's that number... for sure. I get... Ender's Shadow is number two for me. Yeah. And Ender's Game is... Number one. Number one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's your favorite yes. sci-fi book. <laughs> yeah. So... Very well established in that. I feel comfortable. <laughs> I feel comfortable claiming it and that I've like thought about it a lot. Yeah. No, that's, that's very fair. But... But yeah, so we're here for the second of our book analysis. The first was Lord of the Rings two weeks ago, and today we're talking about Ender's Game. Yeah, four weeks ago. Four weeks ago. Two four episodes. weeks ago. Time is hard. Yeah, time is hard. It's a, it's a pandemic. It all blends together. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that was released in March, right? Then, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, in preparation for this episode, I read, you know, slash listened to Ender's Game uh, for the, I think it's the 10th time. I That's think insane. I think I've gone through it 10 That's times. insane. It's probably, it's way too much, to be honest. Yeah. But. I, I, I also listened to it again, and I... I'm probably about four or five. Yeah. I think I'm around four or five. I mean, it's super easy to listen to. Yeah, that's part of it is like it's super easy to listen. And I like I used to read before in high school, I would like read before bed. And it was a uh, I could just if I didn't have anything else to read at the time, it was like one that I could kind of fly through and not pay attention to. And now it's that way with the audiobook, right? Where it's like you can throw it on in the background. And I know it so well that it's like it's just kind of something familiar. It's almost like listening through your favorite album again. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But since we've uh, we've already started talking about the topic, yeah. let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about what we're, what we're drinking. Dalton, what's on your flight tonight? Cool. Yeah. So um, this is, I'm drinking Templeton Rye tonight. I like that one. I know you do. <laughs> um, I introduced you to this one in our whiskey episode um, as just kind of like uh, the full rye rye, right? Yeah. And so it has like nearly 100% um, rye in its mash. Um, and so it's extremely spicy, but it's also pretty, like any anything that's like distilled from rye will be have some level of complexity to it just because it's already kind of a complex like grain, you know, as opposed to like corn or something that's just like you get the sweet. But rye, like Templeton Rye, does, isn't trying to do anything fancy. It's just putting out like a rye and it's very good. Um, so you get immediately you get um, like the peppery spiciness kind of like leaves behind like some cinnamon and some other things you might kind of expect kind of like an oaky finish. Um, it doesn't have like a super long finish. Like it's not like some of the other ones we've talked about that like develop or that like linger. You kind of like get this like peppery spicy taste. It tastes really good and you enjoy it. Um, and then by the time you're like thinking about it again, it's already kind of like faded and it just leaves you with like maybe a little bit of that like cinnamon taste or like a little bit of an oaky taste. Um, so it's really nice. We talked in our last episode in the Spirit Island episode about trying to like come up with a way to kind of share what we thought about it, about, about a drink, right? So we talked through like, okay, one cheer is like drink this only if you have to kind of thing. <laughs> um, two cheers. Uh, let's see. What was two cheers? Two cheers is drink if it's free. Drink if it's free. Drink, drink if it's free. free. Yeah. yeah. Um, three cheers is buy and Sweet try. Sweet revenge. Oh. Sweet Revenge. <laughs> That's a song, right? Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. I, w- I know it would be new to me, but uh, I believe you. Okay, whatever. <laughs> it would, uh, but yeah, try, uh, buy and try, right? This one, it's saying this one's worth buying a bottle of and giving it a try. And Four Cheers is like a like a buy on cider, like an always have. And so Templeton for me is is a Four Cheer bourbon. Woo! Four Cheer whiskey. Yeah, Four Cheers. Woo! Go team. And that's that's mostly because like I use it for um, Manhattan's like anytime I'm making like it's a really good rye to mix with and I always enjoy just drinking it straight like I'm doing today um, and then it's also like it's really pretty affordable I usually pick it up for around like thirty dollars a bottle yeah that's not bad at all yeah so like it, it's like a like a first introduction to rye this is like a really good starting point yeah it was a definitely it was a really good introduction for me as well mm-hmm. so I mean this was the first rye I think I'd ever had I actually I, I haven't given you another one so yeah I'm so sure that and it was. <laughs> I only drink bourbon that you give me yeah. or whiskey that you give me yeah and so yeah i've 
And then you got me a bottle and I drank the bottle. And then so <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Go team. Um but yeah, no, I I've never actually had it with a Manhattan, but I do just really like it straight. Yeah. Right? Like for sure. So for sure. And it's good like it's not too cheap that we're or too expensive to where you feel bad like mixing it or you feel bad like even like having it with an ice cube if you're wanting to like day drink which is kind of what we're doing today yeah <laughs> or like uh or drink over like a night or something like that so yeah, yeah really good one to pick up awesome what are you drinking so i am drinking a amber ale i'm drinking abby's amber ale and so okay. this is a uh, a beer that i grabbed or my brother grabbed for me actually so i went and visited my brother in north carolina last week okay and so he uh he got me this amber ale from smithfield north carolina okay yeah and so i it, i think the last time he gave you a beer to have on the podcast it was pink yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i did have that one yeah <laughs> this, this one's a little bit better this is a it's like a dark copper with a medium bodied beer like it, it feels heavier than like an ipa as mm-hmm. in it's not like as fruity yeah it feels a little bit more malty but not like overly malty in my opinion mm-hmm. it's not you know like last episode in the spirit island episode i had a porter right which was heavy and dark whereas this one's you know on the lighter side the srm is around 17 so it's like a rich brown flavor yeah or, <laughs> flavor color it's a, it's a rich brown color and so <laughs> the good old flavor of brown <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah it uses maris otter and crystal malts to give it a rich character without being super malty is what it's <laughs> what it says on the bottle <laughs> so i i agree this one is probably a i would say a two cheers for me yeah it, it's it's good but it's like it, it almost is like teasing me like it's, it's in the oh, ale family okay. so it's like almost something that i would like <laughs> it, it's still really refreshing i yeah. would say that it, it is a really refreshing beer but it's uh it's not something that i would just go out and buy gotcha but yeah it's a I'm glad it, you're trying ambers yeah <laughs> i drink a lot of ambers i think especially like you know this time they're like the fall time of year yeah they're good for that yeah i need to next episode i should get a pumpkin I should get something with pumpkin in it. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> it's like the only time that you can actually get those. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's true. If we miss our window here, we're going to miss it forever. We can be white girl podcasters. It'd be awesome. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> pumpkin spice beer. Pumpkin spice beer. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm kicking back. It's 6% APV. So, okay. You know, for. 1 30 in the afternoon, it's, you yeah. know, it's not too heavy. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be able to drive home. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so I, I'm excited to, uh, to have one or two more of these. <laughs> so what's been on your mind recently? What have you been reading? What have you been watching? Anything yes. interesting? Yeah. So I started a couple things. So I started a new um, series called The Unwanted. I mean, this actually came from a from a tweet um, from Eric Lang. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Who does... Who, do, who does... Uh, Blood Rage. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who, yeah. He who does do, everything. Who does everything, right? He did Everything Blood with Rage. miniatures, he does. If, yeah. If it has really good minis, <laughs> it was him. Rising Sun. Yeah. A couple other things. Godfather. Godfather. Yeah, Godfather. <laughs> it's right there on the shelf. I'm looking yeah. at it. But anyway, he was like, he was, he was basically put out a tweet um, that was something like, if you want to read something that's like Harry Potter, but not written by JK Rowling, like here's, here's some recommendations. Um, and one of them was a series called The Unwanteds. Um, and so the concept of it is that even on like the cover of the first book, it says, it says something like Harry Potter meets Hunger Games or something like that. Bold statement. Bold statement. Right? Yeah. Um, but that's what it feels like. It's like a dystopian sort of society the society tries to crush creativity to the point where they actually like, if there is a child that is showing creativity, they like kill them off. Like they, it's oh, like good. almost like Spartans or something like that. Dang. Like when okay. they're 13, wow. they like send them to die. Um, <laughs> turns out the reason for that is because creativity is linked to magic. Right? Oh, okay, and so cool. that's kind of like the, how the story like evolves. There's like the main character is very creative. He gets like sent off and then he like goes to a magic school and starts to learn magic. Um, 
it's a very soft magic system, which I was really surprised by given because we talked in like the magic systems episode that like if there's a if there is a school present, it is probably a hard or harder magic system. And this one's not. So it was kind of like it was kind of breaking that trend a little bit. And I actually thought I was going to like it less once it kind of revealed that it was kind of a soft magic system. But the reason it does that is because it is linked to creativity. So it's sort of like if they are able to imagine it, then they can like kind of make it real kind of thing. Um, so there are people that do like uh, soliloquies or like or almost like spoken word and that sort of thing and that turns into like some sort of spell that ends up like paralyzing someone or something like that. Oh, cool. So if they okay. can like come up with a way to do it and link it to like their talent, then, you know, so there's like the kids that study art and the kids that study theater and the kids that study music and like blah, blah, blah. And so anyways, it's like a seven book series. I'm on the fourth one now. Okay. How long are the books? Are they heavy? They're, no, they're not. I think the first couple were like seven, eight hours. I think the, fir- oh, the okay. fourth book is That's like really 10. Short. Yeah, they're pretty short. Yeah. It reminds me of Pendragon in that sense oh okay Um, because the main character is like 13 he's probably like taking on a lot of responsibility like it's sort of like responsibilities like thrust on him before he's ready and he's kind of having to like adapt to that and like lean on his friends to like kind of make it happen i wouldn't i wouldn't say that it's like critically acclaimed like there as i'm reading through it it's like is this this person's like first book you know like there are just like some like literary things that are going on where it's like okay that probably wasn't the cleanest way to like make that happen yeah you know or like this could have been done a little bit better like as i'm like reading through it i'm like eh, this could have been done a little bit better in like this way or that way but as long as i'm like kind of there to like enjoy it you know it's like it, it's been pretty fun to listen to so yeah that's the unwanted series um, I, would, I would recommend it if you're looking for something that's kind of like light to read is, is it something that you could probably like read the first one in like you know seven eight hours and see if you like it and you could like- yeah for sure um because it is similar to like a lot of the stuff like the pilot book is kind of a complete story oh okay cool um so you wouldn't like be missing a whole lot if you just read the first one and then chose not to go on very but, similar to the game or the, the the book we're talking about today yeah very similar <laughs> to that for sure so yeah, i read that i read um the other thing i read obviously i read ender's game like i said in preparation for the episode and then i read the second book in the witcher series uh okay which is Sword of Destiny. <laughs> Sorry, I had, it was like it was like I had a lot of text in my yeah, notes, and yeah, I yeah, just yeah. got lost yeah, for yeah. a second. Um, the and, and I think I mentioned a couple episodes ago that like the Witcher series, the the order that they came out in and the order that they are recommended to read in are two different things, right? So you oh, okay. can either read them yeah. in like the order they were released in or kind of like the recommended order. So Sword of Destiny is um, similar to the first book is. Uh, a it, it's sort of a collection of short stories that follow Geralt, the main, the Witcher, right, the main character. Um, but now it's introducing Ciri, who, if you watched the, um, if you watch the show, is like she's like a young princess, she's like twelve or thirteen or something, and they have like a special connection, like a special relationship, and so she kind of like starts to come into the short stories in the book. It was it was again like it felt sort of like a TV show in that it is like seven or eight of these short stories that are really easy to like listen to for like an hour or so and kind of have it have like a complete arc and it's just kind of like building the world because it is like a fairly complex like world that it, that they have set up. Um, it's like building the world. It's like building mainly Geralt and then like a couple of his like key relationships. And so like after finishing this book, I think it's covered most of the things that were covered in the first season of the uh, TV show. And it was also like starting to branch out of things like it was new things to me that because I had watched the um, the Netflix adaptation first, um, there was like some new content that I like new stories that I hadn't seen yet. So that was kind of fun. So I'm excited to see in like the third book, which is I believe the first book that was released is like kind of like the, now we're like because these two are kind of like prequel books basically Got it. Yeah, yeah. so we're kind of into like the core of the story so i don't I actually don't know anything about it i don't know if it's going to again <laughs> be like i don't know if it's again going to be like this short story style if it's going to be just like one kind of like solid narrative i don't know i'm interested to see like what happens next in the in the story that seems like an interesting way to write a book yeah right like be like a, a series of short stories which has been done before but i can't necessarily think of a fantasy setting or a fantasy book that i've read 
that really does that. Yeah. And so it seems like yeah. an interesting, like... It's definitely new to me. Yeah, it's, it's like a... It's an interesting, like, literary task or, like... For sure. A project to, to do. Yeah. To explain, like, an overarching story in a series of short stories. It just seems interesting. Yeah, it, it's almost like it does a... It, it, it's like there are two short stories, like in each book so far that have been like mainline stories, you know? Oh yeah. And, yeah. and the other ones have just been like kind of things that are happening. Um, if okay. that makes sense. And so yeah, like they, they're good for like building the character and that like, they are really interesting and they, but they are, it feels almost like we've only done exposition. If we're going to talk about like the story arc, right. That like, we're still just kind of doing <laughs> world building yep. and care and like, who is the main character and that kind of thing. Have you have, has anything come out about like, the main or like any rising action or what the big bad is or like anything like that or right is it just all exposition yeah like i think in those like especially when they start talking about siri and they start like establishing the relationship between Geralt and siri it's like okay i think this is where the storyline is going to go like that this is going to be a very important relationship my phone keeps going off whenever you say that oh like, siri <laughs> <laughs> i think it's c-i-r-i <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry nelson's phone i don't have an iphone so it's not anything i have to deal with yeah but <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes. I, I'm, I think it's going to be. I mean, obviously, like it's huge, right? Like it's, it's like saying I'm excited. Yeah. I think Game of Thrones is going to be good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Know, like, hot take. <laughs> yeah, hot take, right? Um, but it's, it's a, it's one of the, like the big icons that we have. I haven't personally kind of gotten through yet. So yeah, me neither. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it for me. What about you? What's been on your mind? So I've been doing a lot of reading of books that I've loved and cl- old classics. Mm-hmm. Cla- classics and quotation marks uh classics to me mm. so I, f- I finished pendragon i in our last book episode i was i think you're in book nine i think i was like, in book nine yeah and so i finished i finished that out which is kind of interesting because i think this was only the second time i had read book nine and ten okay whereas like the other the other books i had read multiple multiple times because yeah. they were coming out as i was as I was, when i was a child like yeah. when i was reading and so when a new book would come out i'd reread through the series and like catch up with that book mm-hmm. whereas this one like book ten uh, the soldiers of Hala came out kind of like um, after I had gotten out of that um, reading through those and I right. maybe high school or something. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like it was like late high school or maybe even early college. For yeah. Us came I out. think I had, I think I had the book when I went to college. Okay. But I don't think I ever like read it. Gotcha. Because college is busy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I like read through that and I just like, I really like the way that DJ McHale kind of like it made it feel like nine and ten just like flowed so well together. Um, yeah. I definitely have trouble like distinguishing yeah. the breakpoint between the two. And I also like going back to the story arc discussion. I really like the resolution of the series of Pendragon. Mm-hmm. I just like it's such like a not not necessarily interesting. It's just like it, it feels satisfying. Like mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. end, like the last like chapter or two, just kind of feel like cool. Like that was a good wrap up to like a ten book series which is not easy to do as yeah. we've seen yeah, <laughs> in other literary sure. works right for sure but um i, I it's like the end of season eight of scrubs yeah <laughs> the, the end of the series <laughs> yeah yeah it was so good and why would anyone ever try and do more exactly. of that but yeah so i finished that i also read ender's game i also reread ender's shadow oh um, cool yeah just because I, I love ender's shadow yeah I, I love both of those books uh as i was listening through them i remembered how much i love these books they're just yeah. they're so short and pack so much information and content and story and you yeah. know it's one of the books where i come away and i'm like thinking about it because it's so psychological yeah and then i am halfway through Bersinger, which is the third book of the inheritance cycle oh cool so i read aragon eldest and i'm into Bersinger. awesome and that's you had a, a good month yeah <laughs> i really did i've been it's also like you know i can a lot of these like books are ones that i've read a lot mm-hmm. and i don't necessarily have to 
put 100% of my attention to so I can be doing other things, which yeah. is kind of how I'm able yeah. to like get through them. But the, the inheritance cycle, because what you were saying, you know, about uh, the unwanted mm-hmm. is this is his first book, whereas like Paolini, this was his first book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He was like 16 when he wrote Aragon. Yeah. And it's absurd how like well written and like good it is, I think. Yeah. Like the magic system's really well defined. He like created a language. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's just a like yeah, a lot he did that a really, goes and it's into like it. he borrowed a lot, you know. Like yeah, you he, can he tell, really did. You can tell like but it's like okay, he had strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. You know? One of the things that I really like about the inheritance cycle, uh, is something that we kind of talked about in the magic system episode, which was like the there is no like or the limitation on magic is it takes the same amount of energy to cast a spell that it would take without using magic to cast a spell. Mm-hmm. Which, like, when I first heard that, I was like, well, that's not very convenient. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of related to the unwanted, where it's, like, creativity. And there's a lot of, like, creativity. It's not like you're not saying, like, Asio and, like, something comes to you, right? It, it's, right. like, you, you have to know the true name of an object to manipulate it. And then, like, it feels, like, very creative yeah. in the sense of, like... And, like, they talk about, you know, how you can put up a bunch of magical wards, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily, you have to be very specific in the magic because, like, if you're not, it could kill you. Or, yeah. um, like, I think one of, the, like, the, the good example of this is when Aragon is being taught some magic. Mm-hmm. He's given, like, the, the teacher, like, binds his legs together mm-hmm. using magic, and he says, free your legs. And he says, like, Aragon just says, like, in the magical language, free my legs. And it almost, like, drains him of all strength because, like, it's mm-hmm. it's an absolute Right. Yeah. Where it's like, and like the teacher's like, you're, you're lucky I didn't put more effort into that. Cause that would have killed you. Like the, the spell would have gone on until you either died or it worked. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's a really interesting, like kind of take on the magic system where it's like, you can just say like, I'm going to throw this thousand pound boulder, 500 <laughs> feet. You can cast that spell. It will kill you because you don't have the energy to do that physically. Right. Whereas like, you know, some of the, you know, the tricks that, um aragon is taught is like you pinch the crowded artery like that takes no energy whatsoever mm. but it's like you know it's it's a magical word but like that's very common so magical beings have protections against that and so it's like it feels yeah. like almost like a magical chess game of like it does yeah. like but it's like a creative like how can i like creatively do this task so that it uses the least amount of energy possible and i just think that that's like a really interesting way to implement a magic system mm-hmm. you uh you want to hop into icebreakers yeah let's do some icebreaker talk Okay, cool. So last week, our last episode's icebreaker, we uh, we had a submittal by Schmaka, and it was what's one game that you dislike that most people rave about, or vice versa. Okay. And so we both took the first. So what's one game that we dislike that people rave about? And that's how I posed it on Instagram because it was kind of hard to put both of those questions yeah. into a story. Yeah, be consistent. But we got a lot of responses. Oh, and awesome. There there are some people who. I seriously considered unfollowing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm How just kidding. How dare you? Yeah. So let, let's run through some of these. So uh, Black Strawberry Games said Viticulture, which I thought was interesting. Mm. I want, I actually didn't ask them. I, I I should have asked if they had played with the expansion. But it's also like if you don't like the base game, like you want to spend more money on an expansion yeah, to try to and fix it. But yeah. yeah, then it just becomes a really expensive game that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Meeple Medley and Whole Fia, Fiatas said Gloomhaven. Oh, that's a hot yeah. take. So that that is a really yeah. hot take. I was like, wow, that's that's yeah. interesting. I it is a lot, and I guess if you don't have the right group, I could yeah, see that. If you don't that. have the right group, if you don't like obviously if you don't like co op games, if you don't <laughs> yeah. like RPG, you know, yeah. it's like okay, this is doomed to fail. But Yeah. The game table said Wingspan, Everdell, and Nemesis. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we talked a little bit about that and when I told him that Wingspan was already up to twentieth overall, he was like, What? No <laughs> <laughs> But Schmacka said Secret Hitler. 
Uh, any like mm-hmm. of those social deduction games, I can see that. Yeah. Andy four seven five said Everdell. Yeah. Which I could see that. Like I that was kind of like, Everdell's. I, I that's a more common answer to that question than I. Yeah, it it's very be. polarizing, I think, right? Yeah. Like, either you lo- you really like it or you really don't like it. Yeah, um, maybe because it's trying to bridge a gap of being like yeah. a complicated game that's actually not complicated or something like that. Yeah. Dark Side of the Dice said Tale to Walken, and I can 100% see that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I go from loving that game to hating that game to loving that game. To yeah. <laughs> it just it kind of depends on... Do you on... think it's a game that people rave about? Like, people... I guess yeah. I haven't seen a whole lot of positive, like, this I, is I, my favorite game of all time kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily people's favorite game of all time, but I do think it's... A lot of people say it's Tashini's best. Mm. Um, like a lot of people like it and prefer it over Zolkin. Mm-hmm. It, it's his most recent without Takanu or whatever his newest one is. But like, gotcha. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's a good game, and like when it's one of those that I think you have to just play repeatedly to like understand the strategy and what you need to do to yeah. like be good at it. Yeah. So and it's a pretty hefty game for that. Yeah. And so maybe I, I could see that. K play games and Saber said Wingspan. Um, okay. So we got a lot of wingspan actually, which like I, I can see it's it's a good game. It's not a fantastic game. I don't think it deserves to be twentieth overall. Yeah. Um, like there are, there are a lot of games that I would put over wingspan yeah. on Board Game Geek, mm-hmm. and people but people do lo- rave about that game. I think it's a really accessible game, which yeah. is you know I think kind of what's kind of driving that. Yeah, I, I think like. The frustration comes from like, oh, you play and it's like, oh, this is a good game. And then people are like, yeah, it like swept the awards this year. Yeah. You know? And it's like, really? Like, yeah. It swept every award, you know? Yeah. That's to be fair, surprising. 2019 didn't have a lot. I think that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Heinz Fiction, this one hurt, said Terra Mystica and Great Western Trail, which, like, <laughs> which You're I, like I rubbing your side as if it yeah, was an actual like, oh, knife my in your pain. gut. <laughs> I, I, I asked him about it. He's, he said that he doesn't necessarily like, like the heavier competitive games he, he prefers like lighter games with like a little more whimsical a little bit more luck and those don't gotcha. have those yeah <laughs> so yeah for sure so there's that um yeah they're games that you can like realize an hour ahead that you've lost and like you're stuck playing it yeah 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 which is frustrating d20 woodworking said concordia and agricola okay which i think i always uh, think those are the same game like i know that they're not <laughs> but like in my head like for whatever reason i'm like oh that's <laughs> yeah they, they sound uh m Sirocco said munchkin <laughs> oh yeah that's a solid one I'm not i've even... actually never played munchkin <laughs> really i mean you're not missing a whole lot yeah. but <laughs> that's <laughs> kind of why i've never played it I'm yeah just like, eh, whatever it, it's also like it, it might consider it i don't know if it's a gateway game because like it feels like a game that you can ask anyone who hasn't played board games to play like you could ask them to play munchkin like there's not that many rules <laughs> yeah. but, like it's also not like necessarily gonna hook them on like oh board games are different than i thought yeah and, like, bring yeah. them into it you know it's like this it's not this, a very welcoming game yeah it's, <laughs> Where it's like, like a really crazy version of go fish or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love it um and then board game jr board game fun times and d underscore board gamers said terraforming mars which hurt Hurt. Thank you. Hurt That's myself. what I was asking for. I wanted people to just pick games off your top five. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And yeah, I think the main complaint with Terraforming Mars is that it is pretty long for what it is. Yeah. And I, I, I could see that. I think Prelude speeds that up a little bit, but yeah. I also think that sometimes people play with all of the cards and you really should play your first game without like basically the base game produces without the corporation cards or whatever. Well, that, but also like, oh, is that what they're called? They're, there's or, like, oh, it's yeah. the cards that have the red dot. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> the red and there's dot all cards. these cards. Yeah, the red <laughs> dot cards. There's all these cards that like, basically they just give you more victory points and they're like engine yeah. building cards, but yeah. most of them don't terraform. And, and so they if slow you, down. They slow down the game. So if you strip them out of the game, the game actually takes like an hour 
half, maybe hour and a half, yeah, hour 45. That's true. It's very fast. And it's like, okay, I get the mechanics of like playing cards and terraforming the planet. And like, this is how I'm going to win. I think sometimes people don't do that. And they probably play with like, okay, we're going to draft, right? Which extends the length of the game. Yeah. The drafting takes, it takes so long. much time. Because if you don't know the cards, you have to read all the yeah. cards, right? And so it's just like, you end up reading 16 cards instead of four. Yep. And, and or whatever and so you like they play with drafting they play with all the bonus cards they play with all these different corporations you can overwhelm a new player pretty quickly yeah because we're like oh it's so fun yeah <laughs> just like content content here yeah. you go Pack have fun but you can really strip the game down to something that's actually not as complex as it pretty looks. manageable pretty yeah. manageable well yeah so we got a lot of responses and a lot of a lot of like ones that i was like oh yeah. wow I think we get more responses when we, and maybe this is social commentary in some way, but when we <laughs> ask questions for people to talk about things that they don't like yeah. versus things that they do like, we yeah. get more answers when we ask people what they don't like. No, that, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to start phrasing some more of these, or figuring out some more questions to ask about. <laughs> yes, <you know? laughs> feed the negativity. Yes, good. <laughs> good. We don't have enough of that in this world. Um. Anyway, so. <laughs> feed go your anger. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Tangents. Fun. Tangents. <laughs> uh, let's hop into this week's icebreaker. You yeah, want to do that? Yeah, give me an icebreaker. Okay, let me unlock my phone. So this week's icebreaker is submitted to us by Kim, boop, and she boop, asked, boop. what book would you want to see rewritten from another character's point of view similar to Ender's Shadow? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, that's a good one. I, oh. feel, like that's a, I feel like that's a question that we like, <laughs> ask each other a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we've theorycrafted this we've one theory before. We've theorycrafted this, yeah, theorycrafted this one okay. before. Okay, hmm. So you want to go first, or you want me to? I want you to go first. Okay. Okay. So I'm still thinking I, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it would be really interesting to see Harry Potter done from Voldemort. Oh, like, really? like the reverse, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you get to see, like you know, the hero, and why? Why can't he vanquish this little child, right? Like why didn't? <laughs> and I just want him to like every like you know a couple chapters just be like why didn't i just throw him out the window like <laughs> it would my life would have been so much easier i need to buy a gun <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, i mean like there is a lot of stuff that jk rowling has said that she's not gonna actually ever explain right like you know like how did voldemort come back to life like what is the process for creating a horcrux and everything that's you know just too dark to explain or go into right. but i think it would be kind of cool if you know she ever like said that she would do that and yeah. rewrite from the villain's perspective to see like the dark arts. Cause like you get a little bit of that, but it's mm. a lot of combating the dark arts. Yeah. I think it'd be really cool to see like someone like in the, like in an evil mind of like, Hey, this is what we're doing. And then like, how, how does this affect? What are the spells? Like, what are the ways, how are we going to try and infiltrate Hogwarts? And we've seen it from, you know, the good side. Let's see it from the bad side. Yeah. And I, I think it'd be cool also if you could like, because I think a lot of these books that are written from villains perspectives, it's kind of, almost hard to not empathize with some of the villains mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i think that would be kind of also interesting to be in the mind of voldemort yeah and see why he's doing what he's doing yeah and i i just you know it's power right but like right. like what what is his self-justification for that yeah I, I just think that that would be kind of interesting yeah yeah that would be really interesting i think <laughs> i almost said gandalf <laughs> i think gandalf would also no. gandalf would win <laughs> <laughs> i meant to say dumbledore I yeah. think dumbledore from if you're going to talk about harry potter would be an interesting because yeah that like, would be a good one because there's so much that like dumbledore knows that's like going on yeah know? yeah it would just be like after it, it would have only worked after all seven books were written right because like 
otherwise like secrets that were yeah. revealed to Harry at a specific time would have re- been revealed to the reader at a different time. It would have broken the illusion. Oh yeah, that would have been a really good one. You know, but yeah. like now that the seventh book is written, it would be interesting to get like some of Dumbledore's perspectives, I think. Yeah. Almost, it could even be written as a book of like short stories of just like what Dumbledore was doing at like different times. That'd, That'd be, be really cool. cool. What about you? I think we haven't talked about Red Rising in a long time. No, we haven't. <laughs> uh, man, I, first of all, I love Red Rising. It's in my top five. Like, I, it's well yeah. established that I love Red Rising. Um, but one of my one of my all-time favorite characters, Severo, from that book, I think it would be really cool to hear a book from his I perspective. Love Severo. Severo is like he's awesome, and I, I bring up Severo, I think, in like <laughs> other in other icebreakers because he's just like a really interesting character to like <laughs> craft about. He's another one that has like a, he has a pretty messed up like psyche. Yeah. So that would be I think what would be hard to write a book from his perspective. That's that would be the struggle is like almost stepping like just like dipping your toe into insanity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um. Would would that would be like kind of hard? It might be like that would make it hard to write and hard to read. Um, but like Severo, he's sort of like Bean. Like he he's, he almost mirrors Bean, you know, for Darrow, for for yeah. Darrow, and he's yeah. the main character of, of Red Rising, and he sort of feels like Ender, right? Where he has this like he's like a step above, like strategically and tactically above everybody else, and he's like kind of beating them at their own game in a way that's new and different. He changes the game like Ender does. Um, and be and <laughs> see, I'm even saving Bean. <laughs> Severo <laughs> is the one who's like sort of like one step behind him like in his shadow following along but he's like he's like the true friend the one he always relies on he's like accomplishing things that like daryl didn't know he needed kind of thing yeah. he also like has his own little like click like these little wolves that like follow him around and they have their own like like in like their own rituals and their own like i say wolves but they're like their characters he just like refers to them as his wolves <laughs> yeah um so i think like it would be because he's not always with Darrow. He's kind of like coming in and out in different scenes. I think it would be interesting to see like, what is he thinking? What's he like doing in these different times? Like, how is he like looking at Darrow and like viewing him? That's one thing that like Bean's perspective in Ender Shadow is really powerful is it's like already building on this like, you, you have an established, I guess, kind of personal view of Ender, right? And so it's it's helping you kind of like see Ender in a slightly new light and kind of gain more respect for him by like the way that Bean sees him. I think like Severo would be able to do the same thing for Darrow. Yeah, because, like, the only really outside influence that you get on Ender in Ender's game is from, like, the teachers, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. it's, like, the authority figure looking down. And you don't necessarily get to see the perspective until Ender's shadow of, like, you know, the looking up. Like, we respect Ender, right? Whereas, like, the teachers are, we're utilizing Ender. And, like, I think that would be interesting as well from, like, the Severo Darrow perspective. For sure. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Where you get, like, you get conversations with people, like, from Darrow's perspective who he respects, you know, because they're, like, leaders or whatever or, or governors or these like huge authority figures that he's talking to and playing these mental chess games with. But he's not typically like speaking that way to like his underlings, you know, the people following him. So I think it'd be, I think it'd be a fun book. Yeah. I'll enjoy it. Yeah. I want him to go back and write that instead of writing the follow-up <laughs> series that he's writing, which I'm not super into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, that, yeah, that, yeah, very true. Sad. Face That's- off Friday. Face off Friday. Face yes. off Friday. Face so face off Friday time. I was about to say that was such a good intro. Yeah, like Ender's game. I was like ready to go. I was like, yeah, let's talk about Ender's game. Well, let's let's talk about a really uh, quick face off Friday. So yeah. I posted a question on our Instagram stories for the face off Friday, and it was who is the more interesting character, Ender or Bean? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, what what are your thoughts on this? And that's it. The way you phrased it is... I know. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I already know what you're going to say. Sorry. <laughs> I was I was actually going to compliment you. I think that like saying the more interesting character makes it make makes it a good a better question because it's like okay, they're they're interesting in different ways. I think I yeah. I think I still land on Ender. I think he has more of like an internal 
struggle which we'll get into in this book but also like i like ender's game better than ender's shadow Only a little <laughs> bit you know but yeah. like i'm always gonna side with ender if i have a chance yeah. probably so like that's that's maybe part of it no i the, what i thought you were gonna say when you said like the way that you phrased it is what my wife said when she read it is it's like the question was said like who is the more interesting character in ender's game oh gotcha. like the actual like book that. yeah and it's like that wasn't my intent but like i didn't understand like in yeah. the enderverse and like people are like what the hell does that mean <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah um yeah yeah, who's, <laughs> that's kind of funny, actually. Yeah. Who's the more interesting character, Harry Potter or any other character in the series titled Harry Potter? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, I, I landed on Bean. Mainly, I, I did interpret it as, like, the story, right? Like, everything yeah. that's going on, and just for the exact same reasons that she chose Ender, I chose Bean, right? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, it, I like Ender Shatter a little bit more. I like seeing, like, the more tactical, like, the behind the scenes. I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah. They're filling in plot holes that you didn't even know existed. It's, one of the hardest things about this episode is going to be not spoiling ender <laughs> it really is it's gonna be it really, really is. tough and so i would i would just say that like nelson is, has has very valid points and yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a very legitimate like discussion of which one is a more interesting character because bean has a lot more going on than is shown in ender's game oh yeah 100 percent. it's effectively the same timeline from like rising action to climax it's the same yes. story yes it differs in the resolution and in the exposition yeah and it, yes it, i think it's even maybe fair based on what you know in Ender's game, to say Bean is the backup option. Yeah, yeah, Bean, yeah, yeah. Bean is Ender if Ender doesn't work out. Like, he he's the backup plan. Right? Yep. And I, I don't think they explicitly say that, but if you, like, kind of look at the events of the book, you can see, like, okay, I could kind of see how that could be true, right? Ender Shadow, like, shows you why that's true. Yep. I love Ender Shadow. Anyways, <laughs> uh, so Instagram agreed with you. Okay. But it was pretty close. Surprise it was pretty close. Wow, good. So it was 52-48 split. That's really close. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. That's yeah. like a couple votes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we are very close to having a 50-50 split on this one. Yeah. So like, I, awesome. I thought that was kind of interesting because you know we, we got a good number of votes too. So it was like, it's, it's fun to see relevant. that. Like, yeah, it's statistically <laughs> relevant. It's just kind of fun to see that there are different schools of thought in that. Yeah. And so I, I thought it was going to be one of those like, you know, like 67, 33, where it was going to be like, there are dozens of us that like, <laughs> you know, like, but no, it's, it's really close. Yeah. No. It was, it, yeah. If you need really any close. encouragement, I think to read Ender Shadow, that's it, right? This isn't just Dalton and Nelson. Smoke. <laughs> like there's a bunch of people who agree that like Bean is a very legitimate main character. Read Ender Shadow. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but we are talking about Ender's game, which is the lesser of the two books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, it's been really uh, nice recording this podcast with you but yeah. <laughs> um i i mean like but really like ender's game the the ender game story is phenomenal yeah. right and orson scott card who is the author has really expanded on this so like it, yeah, it initially extensively. yeah oh yeah i mean it, it initially came out in 1977 as a short story mm -hmm. and then he rewrote it into the book that we know and love today ender's game in 1985 yeah so it's not new right it's older no. than me and you <laughs> right. i was required to read this book in school really was, yeah which was hilarious to me because i had read it like four times <laughs> so i was like perfect okay cool yeah and i think i was like in the middle of like reading i think i was actually funny enough i think i was reading the inheritance cycle oh okay. and so i was like i'm not gonna read that yeah it's <laughs> like you know just like take all the quizzes and test this like i know this book well enough to to like pass it but oh that yeah so but it's that the only, i think it may be the only book we ever talk about on the podcast that i was required <laughs> to read in school yeah and so that's that's interesting because when i was typing in like when i was doing research for the podcast i would like look up you know like why is ender's game 
whatever I was looking up. And mm-hmm. some of the top things is like, why is Ender's Game required reading mm-hmm. in school? I was like, oh, that seems weird. Like, yeah. And then some of them was, why is Ender's Game banned? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, it was kind of interesting because I can see it. Like, I can see if actually, I, I don't know. Like, I, okay. It is a really good, interesting book to dive into the psychology of like, why war is bad what what mm-hmm. war can do to people yeah and i think that that's interesting and it's a good required reading in that sense if you're trying to teach that in an entertaining fashion right right so yeah. I, like yeah. i can see that i can also see i did click on why it's banned and i think it's because like petra walks around naked or something like that yeah like it was just like okay yeah. well this is this which is, is actually, <laughs> which is actually like she like it's a very the way it's like shown in the book it's not it's not a sexual thing it's that she's trying to like normalize herself exactly like yeah. other like boys right it's actually a it's it's almost like it's actually a very progressive idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it really is of like removing sexism kind yeah. of thing. And I don't remember. <laughs> sorry, my my books are getting blurred. I don't remember. This is Ender Game or Ender Shadow. I think it's actually Ender Shadow, but it's not a spoiler. Where like Bean is thinking about like how Petra gets her own room or something mm. when they're when they're in command school. Yeah, and he's like, "You guys are dumb. Like that is singling her out." That is putting pressure on her. That's doing the exact opposite of what you wanted to do. Yeah, there's a there's a similar but not the same exact moment in Ender's Game where basically like she's in I think she's in Bonzo's army. Yeah, like she's in Salamander and uh she, and he's and and she's not like the guys aren't allowed to look at her or something like that. Like, Bonzo has a rule where like they aren't allowed to look at her and the guys aren't allowed to be naked around her. And that's it. They're yeah. not allowed to be naked around her. And Ender's like that's dumb yeah like, you should dumb. Not, <laughs> for the exact same reason He's yeah like, you shouldn't be singling her out yeah like that. yeah so it's a required reading mm-hmm. slash band reading yeah required wanna... if you're lucky <laughs> yeah although i do i do wonder like i hated every book that was a required reading i don't know if you were that way too yeah like i, I hated yeah. all of them so i hope that like it's not ruining it for some kids <laughs> that is true <laughs> that is true because it's really good you should enjoy it yeah i the, one of the great things about human psychology is if you require someone to do it, they typically will not like to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I don't you know. Go, no, we're very rebellious. <laughs> yeah. No. Screw you. No, I don't want $100. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you have what? to take it. No, I don't. <laughs> you can't make me. Let's do our uh, let's do our 30-second synopsis before we get too deep into yeah. this. Like, yeah. Because like people need to like understand what book we're talking about. And I think That's that these 30-second synopsis really give a holistic overview of the book. <laughs> or the extremely series. valuable, I'm sure, <laughs> to the readers, to the people who have read the book. Um, so, I think you went first i went first last time so i think it's your turn to go it's my first turn to go first do you want me to get a timer out i do yeah because i need my like phone for my notes so i don't want to use my phone for a timer <laughs> i think similar to last time though i have not timed this i have like a list of bullet points it's like i want to get through this stuff you know we'll see how this goes you i think have actually timed yourself is that correct yeah it's not under 30 seconds oh. <laughs> just like i was sitting there i was like i don't know what to cut at this point so, <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you're ready you can hit start and then i'll yell at you when you hit 30 seconds awesome so, i can't wait count right. me down okay three two one go all right, so Ender is a genius child. He's the average of a ruthless brother and a compassionate sister. He's chosen for battle school, which is where uh, kids are trained to be commanders to fight the aliens, which are called buggers, uh, primarily in mock wars. It's really fun. They fly around in space, basically, in zero G. Ender becomes the best. He changes the game. He pisses off his first commando, Bonzo, who he uh, wins games, gets a command. He literally kills Bonzo. Enemy's gate is down, which is really important. He's promoted to command school. Meanwhile, his siblings take over the world. Ender and his friends all kill the buggers. Enemy's gate is down 2.0. <laughs> Surprise! Buggers are actually friendly. And you marries the core done, bug. Done. You're done. Oh no! I didn't get through. Oh man, you guys don't know the end. Maybe you'll learn in Nelson's. Version. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about it in the resolution section. We will. Yeah, I like the enemy's gate is down 2.0. I really like that. That was fun. Did I get to say that he marries the queen bug? No. Ah, oh, dang it. Okay, that was my other funny thing. <laughs> All right. Um, I need to get a timer for you. 
you need to uh, take drink some water, take some deep breaths, you know. Breathing exercises. Yeah, I'm going to fix the <gasps> issue that I had last time. I'm not going to set a 30-minute timer. I'm going to set a 30-second <laughs> timer. Are you ready? No. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have no more time to prepare. Three, two, one, go. Ender Wigan is a little kid in a third. They removed his monitor and he killed someone. Space Force liked that and decided to take him up to battle school so he can play laser tag. He becomes the most successful launchy and, move- <laughs> and is moved into an army. The leader of this army is a real bozo. Ender starts his practice <laughs> squad. He also wins a drinking game against a computer. Ender becomes a commander and the enemies get his down. He never loses a match. He kills that bozo guy. Ender gets promoted again. At command school, Ender thinks he's going through simulations when really the power squad is commanding a real invasion fleet. Ender gives up space and uses a doctor on a planet. This means all humans are safe and the Russians try to kill everyone. Ender then gets an egg with a bugger inside while this is happening his brother and sister are 14 and taking over the world because grown-ups are incompetent done oh yeah <laughs> oh you did it that was perfect i think it was like i think it was 29.95 or something when you were done awesome job. Oh, oh. well done every Holy single God. time i timed it it was like 32 seconds i was like well i'm just gonna get i thought off. i was gonna mess it up because like i was cracking up when you called him bozo first of all <laughs> and then laser tag laser tag was the other thing that got me good <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's glorified laser tag. That's all it is. <laughs> I love that the like we're not talking about resolution yet, but I love that the resolution for like Anderson is that he gets to be the league commissioner. For, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he actually just they make like the game a game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what he gets to do. Yeah, <sighs> awesome job. So that's I, Ender's game. It's been a really good episode talking to you guys. <laughs> yeah, it really has. Thank you. Let us know what your thing, what what your thoughts are, and uh, let, let us know if we missed anything. Let us know if we missed anything. <laughs> it's hard to like. It's hard to know where to start, I think, in Ender's Game. It really is. You know, because, like, it's... <laughs> first, like we talked about, it's, it's a book that I absolutely love, that I know that you love. And, and it's a book, like, when I was reading through it, I was like, holy cow, that all of that is contained in a chapter? You know, like... It really... Yeah. Like, he would... Because like, all the chapters, right, they start out with, like, the commanders talking. And you don't know... Theoretically, you don't know who's talking, but they always kind of, like, reveal over the course of the conversation who's talking. And I would always... I was always amazed, like, wow. Like, I look at the chapter name... You know, and it'll be like launch or something or, or games. Yep. And it's like, oh, my God, they covered so much ground so quickly, you and, know. But it doesn't feel like they're rushing through anything. No, I don't know how he did that. Like, it feels like a very immersive experience. Yeah. But it's it's a short book. Like, it's, it's not a short. long book at all. But yeah. it, there's so much content in it. Yeah, because I always like I always really look forward to the dragon army. Right. Yeah. Like when he makes the <laughs> army and he's like, OK, like now he's going to start. He's going to go through training the army. He's going to yeah. go through those battles. And that's that's just two chapters. Right. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's like dragon. And then like the veni vidi vici i yeah. think is like the second and it's like making the army and fighting with the army and like that's it that's all yep. you get it's just that's a couple hours in the audiobook um, and i i think the word to describe it would be efficient right there's yeah. no like fluff in ender's Very, game yeah, <laughs> like right not. there's i'm never reading it's like i don't Contrary care about to the this. rest of the books he wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like to be fair i think orson scott card does a very good job of writing first books yeah right definitely. like we we did that with his pathfinder series like he, he's a really good world builder yeah and that that's all i have to say about that yeah yeah um, and the follow-up is, is a little hard but but ender's game does that where it it has every, it, it's almost like you cannot take a sentence out of it it, it feels yeah, like when you review it, it at the end you're like every sentence has like a point almost yep. by the time it gets yeah. to the end of the book so we've spent the last we spent several episodes before moving into our book analysis episodes talking about how to think about books how to break them down and so i think that's kind of like the natural place for us to start right totally yeah, yeah so let's start with um let's start with magic system um and i think because what magic of, yeah what magic right? <laughs> it's a sci-fi book what magic um i think when we talk about magic systems in a sci-fi sense we're talking about like heart instead of hard versus soft magic it's hard versus soft technology right yeah like sci-fi just uses technology as its magic system essentially because it's always an extension of a physics engine 
and it's either an extension of a physics engine that like makes sense or it's one that's like really fuzzy right ender's game i would think at least ender's game the book ender's game maybe not so much in the rest of the series but definitely the book is a very hard technology system right yeah i think there's really only i i think of two kind of core rules that are changed from from like a normal physics engine. The first is that humans have the ability to manipulate gravity, and the second is that they have instantaneous communication. Right. And if you like make those two kind of like assumptions, like these these things exist, the rest of the series kind of follows naturally with the rest of like a normal physics that we know. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I what I really like about the first point that you brought up that humans can manipulate gravity and the zero G is that plays such a critical role in Ender's game where mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know that's you know the enemy's gate is down, right? The the entire thing of not only physically changing your perspective but also like mentally changing your perspective on how to approach problems and work on problems mm-hmm. I think is like really interesting. You you take this like we can manipulate gravity and now let's like figure out how we can utilize this in order to tell a story yeah and right so the enemy's gate is down is the saying that ender says when you know you come in to the battle room which is the giant laser tag area arena arena (laughs) and you you're look when you're entering the battle room you're looking you could look across the the stadium or the stadium or the the room and see the other armies like where they would come out right and it's on the horizontal plane and what ender does is he flips that literally on its head um, yeah. and says that no like when you enter the battle room uh adjust your or adjust your position so that the enemy's gate is down right right and you're attacking from above mm-hmm. it makes a very good tactical position for them in the game but it also like kind of starts to sow the seeds of let's look at this differently and yeah. i think that's why ender is chosen to be the commander of the invasion fleet oh for sure yeah he has like and and the reason they talk about one of the reasons that he's chosen is his uh, ability for empathy right his ability for compassion and understanding um, and i think that's sort of like it, it's almost like highlighted in in that in in that phrase that the enemy's gate is down it's that he's able to shift his perspective he's able to view things from other perspectives one of those is other people's perspectives right that leads to empathy and compassion but another of those is by viewing battles differently um, the other, the, I love that phrase. We talk about a phrase all the time, the enemy's gate is down, because it has multiple meanings, right? Yeah. The other meaning that it kind of has is the point of the game is to win. Yes. You know, yeah. and we talk about that in board games a lot. Actually, yep. this is one of those crossovers, <laughs> right, between our board yeah. games and our books. The point of the game is to win. And it sounds like, yeah, duh, why would you say that? But like, <laughs> people forget that, right? Yeah. Like, the point of the game is to build a fun engine. No, the point of the game is to win, yeah. right? And you exactly. need to like, you know, the point of the game is, is, is to do blank. No, the point of the game is to win. And in, for Ender... The point of the game is to preserve my soldiers. No, the point of the game is to win. The the point of the game is to win, and you see that, especially in the army where he like kind of gives command over to Bean, mm-hmm. right? Where they're going up against two armies, are, and yeah. it's insane. And like the enemy's gate is down at that point means I can win by cheating the system. I don't have to kill or immobilize all of the enemy units. I just have to get my four people to press their heads against the enemy's gate and have one person enter through, right. and that ends the game. They change the rules after that but then but then that's you know that's foreshadowing for the final battle where right. bean tells ender hey the enemy's gate is down yep and like he is down 2.0 <laughs> the enemy's gate is down 2.0 where he throws rules out the window right yeah. like he, he attacks a home planet i mean like he thinks it's a simulation which is, <laughs> which is a whole other thing but yeah. it, it's like it's a different perspective but it's also like 
cheating the system a little bit yeah. to think outside of the box. Like, let's not confine ourselves to the rules as written. Yeah. Um, let's yeah, I think rules as whole, interpreted, like the sure. whole Pathfinder thing. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Which I think that that it becomes like a, uh, it, it almost becomes a pillar of the book. Maybe not a pillar yeah. of like necessarily yeah. the series, but it's definitely a, a point that's trying to be kind of driven across in the book. We've strayed a little bit from magic systems because we got excited, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, when I think uh, the manipulation of gravity, Ender like sort of pseudo realizes it, but doesn't name it in the, in, in the, in Ender's game because he realizes like okay how can we pass through a wall and now there's no gravity right yeah and and like uh, petra at one point tries to describe it to him she says like oh yeah like the middle room isn't isn't spinning and so it has no gravity yeah and he's like well how come when i pass through the wall it has no gravity right and you can they actually play that out a little bit more in ender's shadow being kind of like walks through <laughs> that logic a little bit yeah. more of like no that doesn't really make sense but you can tell that ender probably He's noticing it too, but maybe doesn't think it matters, and so he doesn't like play it out. But he's asking the right questions to kind of get him there of realizing like, okay, humans have manipulation of gravity. That's a technology we have now that like isn't readily available to the populace of Earth. Most people don't know that. And then the the other thing that we kind of talked about that you take for granted, like I mean, right? You, we have spaceships, we have all of this, yeah. Um, but like the the physics breaking invention that Ender's or not invention, but the thing that Ender's game has is the Ansible, mm -hmm. which is the instantaneous communication. Yeah. Right. And this is where I'm going to use my rabbit hole. So like what we did in the Lord of the Rings, we each get like a little segment to kind of dive in deep and like yeah. you know learn a little bit more about it. So I'm going to do my rabbit hole on the Ansible. Awesome. So the Ansible. <laughs> is um the full name is the philotic parallax instantaneous communicator and god knows why they came up with a nickname for that <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's better known as the ansible which yep. ansible is not actually orson scott card did not create the ansible so like the name ansible the, the name ansible so gotcha. the, the it was actually created by ursula k lee Jin in 1966 in the novel rokanan's world and the idea is of that, wait how do you spell the last name g-u-i-n okay so that is the person that wrote um earthsea Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Ursula, I know that name. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, the person cool. okay. So, like, I've been talking about that one in previous book episodes. I don't know the, the series that you just <laughs> yeah. mentioned, um, but that's just really funny that, yeah. that that's the same Do person. they have an Ansible in Ursi? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> they don't. It's, a very, it's a soft magic system. It's not a, it's not a technology system. Yeah. The, the idea of faster-than-light communication has been kind of what's one of the problems that humanity needs to solve before they go, go out into the stars. Right. So it's not a new concept. Um, Ursula just coined the term. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it's actually, he, it came from the word answerable. So oh. it's he answered how communication be carried out faster than light. Gotcha. Just the Ansible. Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> I love that. But the whole book falls apart if you don't have the Ansible, right? Like, oh, it really does. Um, so the history in Ender's Game. So it was the device that the humans created after the first bugger invasion by studying the way the buggers communicated. Mm -hmm. So the timeline for Ender's Game, I, I don't think that this is Orson Scott Card. It's just kind of the online community references time in Ender's Game as it was AX. Hold on. Let me let me hop back over to my, my I, other notes. Yeah. It's, I know this one. It's before Xenocide and after. Yeah. So Zenocide. BX. BX and AX. Yeah. Yeah. So the first Formic War was 100 years before Genocide. Right. Or Xenocide. Right. Um, before Ender blew up the bugger homeworld. Yeah. And so the Ansible was created about 98 years before. So it only took them two years after the first invasion to create the Ansible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and part of that's because they had access to bugger, to like bugger technology. Yeah. Exactly. It's major leaps. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because 98 would have been between the first and second Formic Wars. Yep. Because like the first and second Formic Wars were like five years apart. That's correct. Yeah. They, it was like a scouting mission and then the invasion. Right. Yeah. And, uh, oops. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So the way it works in Ender's game is like other people have different ways of manipulating faster than like communication, but everything kind of comes down to what, what we try and like define as like quantum entanglement. Right. Like, so a lot of like, it's kind of been 
right currently right now the theory is that quantum entanglement cannot be utilized for communication in Ender's game it can yeah cool yeah cool. so they they use you're a, allowed to do that in science right? you're <laughs> yeah, allowed to exactly. make like a couple of small logic leaps and yeah. say like this is the basis of my book yeah so the the ansible uh, utilizes a made-up subatomic particle called the phylote. Mm-hmm. And the phylote is what is considered the most basic building block of matter. Right. Um, and this is, by the way, content that is not in Ender's game. Right. Right, but is explained in further works and yes. the Enderverse. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that this would be spoiled. No, at it's all. not yeah. at all. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just want to like make that clear that you didn't miss something. If yep. you never heard the word phylo before, <laughs> yeah, you didn't no, miss yeah. anything. You didn't reread. You didn't read the wrong book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so phylos have neither mass, dimension, or inertia. Uh-huh. Um, all they they only have location, duration, and connection. Uh-huh. And connection is the key here. So phylos can combine and they make durable structures mm-hmm. and they twin up. Uh, entanglement, right? So right. Entanglement. <laughs> entanglement was like... If you ever need to write a sci-fi book and don't know how to explain something, quantum entanglement. Yeah, exactly. I, I tried now to learn. And I was like, this is like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was like 1930s too. Like right? That's when the theory was introduced. Right. Was, whatever. Basically, um, each phylote connects itself to the rest of the universe along like a single point and a one-dimensional line. And then... It, that connected to the next one, which connected to the next one, which created the phylotic web. Right. And then the Ansible, all it did was create a field where phylotes that were paired together, the receiving molecule would form and deform as the same as the sending molecule. So yeah. the, the way that quantum entanglement is, like the simple way to describe that is it's transfer of information. So if you have a red and a green marble, uh-huh. um, I take a marble randomly, I go 10 million light years away, I open my hand. And I see that I have the red marble. The idea is that instantaneously the information is transferred that you, I know that you have the green marble. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of. That makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of what we're going for. I think like if, I, and I'm not a physicist, I'm a yeah. engineer, but if I remember right, it has to do with spins or something, right? Like yep. something yep. spinning clockwise, which is, the other one has to be counter clockwise. <laughs> which, which is a horrible name because it's not actually spinning. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason they use that is because the particle actually has angular momentum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know. Was, I watched, I went down a rabbit hole researching <laughs> the rabbit, rabbit hole. hole. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so my marble is green and your marble is red. Yeah. And so the problem with like real life quantum entanglement is that cool i know that your marble is red or green or whatever it is but like i can't communicate that information to you like Mm -hmm. via like if you if you met up later and you compared notes you could like say hey that information was transmitted simultaneously this is a little bit like this is that logic leap that you actually can communicate that information right and so so it's almost like if if I had the ability to change my marble back from red to green to red to green, that you would be receiving that on yeah. the other end. Yep, kind of, exactly. Almost like a binary language. Yep. And all it does is it is described as creating an electrical differential, which uh-huh. can be red. Yeah. And so you t- you basically connect these two particles that are not connect that are connected but are not affected by distance. Mm-hmm. And if you shake one, the other one shakes. Right. And that that's how communication. And it's like really low bandwidth until they realize that you can do a lot of particles. <laughs> together and that's how the ansible communicates yeah now it's, it's just a fancy radio yeah exactly yeah it's a fancy radio that does not rely on distance cool and so yeah that, so that was my rabbit hole um awesome. i thought yeah i thought it was really interesting it was like yeah it was just kind of fun because it, it almost like when i was reading ender's game i was just like oh cool like they can do that i'm just gonna accept that but then when you like dive in and you read some of the other books and you actually like you know, do some research. It's like, oh, he actually like kind of thought through this on how yeah. this would actually work. And right. I think like authors that do that and put themselves in the mind and like try and like explain something, they don't necessarily have to do it in the book, but if they have an explanation for it, yeah, like really helps them 
write better. I think that for sure, like they have the answers and they understand how it works. Mm -hmm. They can write around the rules that they explicitly know that maybe the readers don't. Ender's Game needs the Ansible, or else like the idea of like, oh, we train a child commander to be the commander, and he's going to command the actual invasion. That doesn't work. Right, because he would have to be there. He'd have yeah, to like yeah. be a hundred light years away or whatever. Right, yeah, it's not a hundred light years, but Roughly, they, yeah. Well, because they like they travel there over the course of like uh, it would be ninety five years, right? Yeah, it would 95 be ninety five because yeah. it was they launched it right after the second invasion. Yeah, they launched everything they had, and then they started building more, and they launched them as yep. they build them, kind of. Thing. Yeah, and that's why they kind of like say that the the initial battles that they're talking about, the ones that are closest to Earth, are fought with the newer ships right because yeah. they were launched later yeah whereas the initial... what a logistics game they had to play right yeah, to make sure right? they all got there within the same like and six like, month period let's, let's just talk like are they just praying that this works like that's a lot of eggs in a basket right yeah <laughs> like, it's let's a just, lot of eggs i guess if we don't launch these billions of dollars worth of ship we all die so right and, and i guess <laughs> <laughs> but like what a gamble that they took right but like i think the idea is that they built the battle school to do that right the, yeah like yeah, they were yeah. like we are going to we we know and like graf has that uh he has that one monologue where he talks about like every once in a while humanity just like shits out like a caesar or, <laughs> you know it's yeah. like or, or a napoleon or whatever and like they were just kind of banking that like they were gonna find ender yep right and, and like they did and like i think ender as a character I, I talked about this a little bit earlier like he he explores this balance between compassion and ruthlessness right yep and 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 they even like set it up in the exposition that it's like there's Peter, he's like a total douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> there's like Val, she's like the sweetest thing to ever exist. Right? right. And like we need Ender to be like the average. And I think it's really cool that like he sets it up in the exposition as like here's like what's happening. But you only like play out like why that's important over like the course of the rest of the book. Right. Right. Because they need Ender to be compassionate enough to understand the buggers and how they would think and get in the mind of them the enemies get it down look at it from all perspectives right but also ruthless enough because like what he did with stilson what he did with uh bozo uh, <laughs> um i've where, never before like that 30 second just tangent i've never before that 30 second realized that it was one letter away from bozo i was like oh that's bonzo like bonzo yeah. madrid like that's his name yeah. he they put madrid in his name so you knew he was spanish yeah exactly <laughs> like madrid spain like yeah but like he has the compassion to think about how you know the buggers are going to react but also the ruthlessness from peter of i need to win this battle and i need to win it so that i win all the future battles yeah which you know he kills two children and then a race like and the entire race. <laughs> yeah and then, and then he then commits genocide right yeah, yeah. uh but like he does that like he wins indefinitely right yeah um but he understands that that is needed but it's not like out of malice yeah and like what a great hero i think that that makes him yeah know? because like he because you would in ender's place you would want to have compassion you would want to be em empathetic right you would want to love like, he has that scene where he talks about like in the moment that i can defeat them i love them yes you know and like what a powerful just moment and when he's on the it. lake yeah where he's on yeah. the lake and he's floating is like in the moment that i can defeat them i love them yep and it turns out towards the end like graf and mazer they talk about like yeah we know like yeah we know that you're capable of that that's why we didn't tell you because yep. if you love them like you wouldn't have been able to do it. right you wouldn't be able to do it but we need you kind of thing and, and but then also like as a hero again like when we talk about heroes it's like how do i identify with this hero how do i like want to be like them how do i want to do the same things that they do like you also as a person as a reader want to be successful and like you want to feel like if i was in ender's place i would also have like one battle school or whatever right? like <laughs> right, i, I would yeah, have yeah. defeated the buggers um and so you need that like that sort of like harsh ruthlessness, you know, that you need that ability to win at all costs. You need the ability to grind your enemy into dust, right? Like there's a very powerful visual 
besides uh, Stilson and, and Bozo, <laughs> that <laughs> there's this really powerful visual in the fantasy game where he like there's a snake right that's like remember in the in the castle yeah. that's like jumping out at him and yep. the way that he like beats it is by like grinding his his foot into it and just yep. like he puts his foot on in the head and just grinds it into dust and it's yeah. like that's kind of the 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 uh the visual of him being the like defeater peter right peter the conqueror kind of part yep. of ender and then in the other like the flip side of that is like when he actually moves past that obstacle he like picks the the snake up and kisses it right yep and he shows a compassion and it turns into valentine yeah you know and it's like this is like such an exploration of like ender's psyche this like constant war between like his love for his enemy and his need to defeat them i feel like that uh, the computer game should not exist. Like that just like seems to just like just completely screw with every single child that plays it. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just, right. Like, oh, we're just gonna destroy you. Like, <laughs> yeah, mentally destroy you. Mental and it, like all the like scenes with it where they're like, oh yeah, I don't know, that's just. The <laughs> yeah. It's like you have no control over this. <laughs> like, yeah. How did it get Peter's face? I don't know. That's but weird. <laughs> it just requisitioned it. And it has like the highest authorities, and so yeah. it got it. <laughs> oh, okay. That's probably not safe. <laughs> <laughs> the. uh what about the other heroes? Like, right, we get, we see Ender, right, the mm-hmm. you know the main character, the hero of the story. Yeah. But like, what are some of the other heroes that you see in the story? Yeah. Um, I think Valentine's the obvious one. Yeah. Because yeah. she's like shown to be like almost the the sweet, like the overly sweet good, right? The like the the level of sweet where it's like almost sickly. <laughs> yeah. Know, like that can be Valentine yeah. sometimes. I, I think it's telling that it is a prequel that Valentine was in, like that whole arc between Valentine and Peter was included at all because I think you could theoretically cut valentine and peter entirely from the story of ender's game and all like the thing that you would lose is like you would almost lose a feeling of exposition because like the reason they're important is because like they tell you who ender like the two warring halves of ender's psyche like they're kind of playing that out for you um so if that had happened like at the beginning of the book you still would have kind of gotten the effect of it and you could have just like cut off this whole like world domination thing that like peter goes through yeah right well i i think you could cut it out and you could still get the ender version of the story but mm-hmm. i don't think that like holistically the book would have been as good yeah because i think one of the more interesting things where peter and valentine take on the roles of Locke and demosthenes i can't say that word sorry demosthenes <laughs> <laughs> um it, demon stenies demon stenies <laughs> demosthenes whereas they play like the opposite so, so like Locke, john Locke is you know this enlightenment thinker you know like let's mm. you know yeah, let's love everyone but that's the renaissance man. the renaissance man but that's played by Peter, like mm-hmm. the the brutality, the one who wants to take over the world, whereas yeah, the, the results only yeah kind of guy, it, whereas and the, justify the means kind yeah, of yeah exactly yeah and whereas Demosthenes is a historical like Greek statesman who like his big thing is like he like opposed Macedonia which is Russia in this case okay um, yeah. Demosthenes is the opposite of what valentine is where you know she's the you know she's writing all this propaganda this rhetoric that you know she doesn't necessarily agree with but it like balances each other out which is kind of interesting because i feel like ender's kind of going through the same thing like in his mind especially like playing the fantasy game and it's like they want me to be peter but i'm not peter i'm not a killer yeah right and he keeps trying to like convince himself of that yeah whereas like you get like this play on morality and like what um, what's good what's evil in multiple different ways and they all kind of play off of each other i think which yeah. i think is just like a really cool way to like write it is orson scott card just like a psychologist or like, i know right? <laughs> i don't know because it like it feels like again i know nothing about psychology though but like yeah. it feels like it makes sense yeah from an engineer's <laughs> perspective right? yeah um let's talk about like some of the other heroes in the in the story um i think it gets weaker outside of those two substantially yeah. um bean would be the top one yep right bean. after that kind of like the rest of what is later called ender's jeesh 
um, sort of like a like a slang term for Ender, Ender's like kind of like close compadres or whatever. So Ally, Shen, Dinkmeeker, Petra, right? Like all those characters kind of, it, it's, a, it's a term that's coined in actually Ender's shadow when they call them the Jish. Those characters, I think, they're they're interesting, right? I think a lie is very much a like a, he's a great character. Like he, yeah, I, I love a lie. I wish a lie is was, a phenomenal character. Yeah, I wish there was like more about. There is more in Ender Shadow yes. about a lie. Yeah, he, yeah. he stays very, but he's also like he's not the because Ender Shadows and the Shadow Saga are written from Bean's perspective. Like Bean wasn't as close with a lie as Ender was, right? So you don't you don't quite get the same like level of connection or whatever. Yeah, and one of the questions that. Uh, was posed on one of our Discord servers from Nathan. Why did they send the Jish to fight with Ender for mm-hmm. the invasion? Why didn't they send, you know, combat trained hardened veterans to train with Ender? Right. And like, kind of what we were discussing is that you know, one Ender didn't realize that this wasn't the invasion, right? He, he right. thought they, that these were simulations, so that helped perpetuate it helps the illusion, that, yeah, that, that illusion. But also, these are the people that he trusts, and these are the people that he's worked with. Mm-hmm. He needs to trust and understand, and he understands every single person and he gets to understand every single person in the Jish so that they know exactly, well, minus Petra, uh, like how far he can push them, what they're capable of and everything like that. Yeah, for sure. And and there's also like, it's discussed more in Ender's shadow, but it's at least the effects of it are obvious in Ender's game where there is a need for isolation of Ender. And the reason is if they, they know that if there is a slight moment, an implication that, they're fighting the real war, it's all lost. Because and yeah. they won't be able to do it, right? Yeah. They don't explicitly say that, like, hey, you don't get to talk to these people outside of these simulations. Right. Like, you don't get to talk to your friends. Or I didn't really realize that as an effect until I read Ender Shadow. It's like, Ender actually, like, for that entire time he's at command school, mm-hmm. only really talked to Graf and Rackham. Yeah, right? He didn't talk to... And it's a long time. He's it's a long like time. A year, yeah, I think? It's, I think it's a year. Yeah. Where he several doesn't months get to of which talk is not like yeah yeah several months of which is not like the actual fight and then several months yep. of which is the fight yeah yeah so I think he's given his friends there because he can't have off time right with yep. with the people so yeah. like if he had if he had, let's just say he had like a, a, a group of like just re- like you know seasoned commanders right he wouldn't be able to like build the rapport that he needs like because of like the re- like you said the the reason that ender like is a supreme commander is because he has like supreme empathy and like if he can build that extremely strong relationship with the people he's commanding like that's when he's most potent he can see through the buggers eyes as much as he can see through other people's eyes and, yeah like try and understand and utilize there's like that scene where mazer shows him a a video of him fighting and he's like what do you see and he's like we look like the buggers you yeah, know, because they're that close. Like, yeah. they're that linked. They're, yeah, they're that linked. And also, just like if Bean wasn't there, mm-hmm. this wouldn't have had. Like, they would not have won, right? the The enemy's gate is down. Triggered Ender to rem- to remembering mm-hmm. the tactics that he needed to do. He needed to use the Doctor device on the planet. Yeah, the way you right? win is by winning. A, season, a seasoned veteran would not have known that phrase, been able to recall that phrase, or even like point mm-hmm. Ender in, in that direction. Yeah. Where, and Mazer also talks about like like veterans of war don't make good commanders because yeah. like, because Mazer has seen people die. You yeah. Know, he he yeah, has yeah. seen war and he's seen the horrors of it and he's like I I don't know that Ender could have sent soldiers to die. Yeah, he talks about how it's you're you're more uh careful with your resources, mm-hmm. re, quote unquote resources, people yeah. at that point. Yeah. Whereas like it's a simulation, 
Yeah. They signed up for this, right? Like the invasion fleet signed up. They like we are going to die. Yeah. We're, we're like we're even if we don't die, we can't go back. Yeah, like, we can't go back. So I think they end up like in all actuality. I think if anyone survived the battles after all the buggers were dead, I believe that they end up like settling colonize. the world. Yeah, I think first. they colonize it. Yeah. yeah, they colonize first, and then the colony ships show up. But they show up like forty years later. Yeah, right? like, you're yeah. effectively dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, your life is over, kind of yep. thing. You're getting it ready for the next group invasion. Yeah. Which selfless act. Like selfless I, I think act, that they yeah. would be the uh, or that was the other like hero. Oh um, yeah, quote unquote, really hero. good point. Yeah. Whereas like the invasion fleet, like they're all unnamed, yeah. um, but it is like you're giving up your life. Like they're they're like you are dead. Like yeah. effectively dead to everyone that you know. So, I think I think the heroes are an interesting topic in Ender's game and pretty easy to identify. Yeah. But I think the villains are a little bit harder. Oh, they're fr- they're fuzzy. <laughs> I think that's the they really are. Yeah. I think for ninety five percent of the book. You think that the buggers are the enemies, the the villains, right? Yep. And then you kind of realize that they're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, when Ender gets the egg of the, the the new queen, like they reconstruct the the mind game for or the computer game for him, and he goes and finds the egg behind the mirror. Yeah. Um, which was crazy, right? Like yeah, like yeah. That, that that like kind of I think, I think was really interesting to me. I it's a really interesting idea. I think it's to be honest, I think it's the only part of the book that's a bit of a stretch. It is a bit of a stretch. You know, like the idea that okay. Would Ender end up on the planet that they're wanting him to end up on? Actually, maybe because it's it's like physically the closest inhabitable planet. Yeah. So it's reasonable that the buggers could think this is where they would first go. So this is where Ender would first end up. That's a reasonable like leap of logic, right? But a planet's pretty fucking huge, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> a planet's a big place. And they they talk about he doesn't find the egg for like six to. Or yeah, he's a governor. It's for, a long time. Like, yeah, and he's actually only when he's trying to establish the next colony. Yeah, you know? because he goes out and he like sees the giant that's dead, and it's like because he had such this empathetic connection with the buggers that the buggers had the connection with him and they were able to see into his mind and everything again something that's explained more in the enders series follow-up books yeah but basically he gets he gets the egg and basically what he realizes and what's explained is that the buggers were just coming in with the first invasion to just expand like they did not realize that humans were sentient they didn't when they were wiping out humans like the, the the queen is the 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 sentient being the the right. one that actually matters, yep. whereas all like the workers, like the infantry, yep. are mindless creatures effectively. Yeah, they're, they're drones, and yeah, they they just, they assume, just assume that humans were the same thing. But when they realize that every human is a quote unquote queen, that's when they realize that they had messed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And that's that's kind of like they they sent the scout, they sent the invasion fleet, but that's why they never launched like, another fleet mm-hmm. because they were like, oh. We did something really bad. Yeah. And like, you know, it shows that the buggers have empathy and it shows that the buggers, just because you do a bad act doesn't mean you're a bad person. You're not a villain. Like, I don't necessarily think the buggers are the villains. They're the antagonist in the story. Yeah, definitely but, the antagonist. But they're not like evil. They're not inherently evil. Yeah. Right? And, and the buggers, this is where like, I kind of wanted to use like my rabbit hole because I think okay, yeah. that the buggers, like you said, they come across as the antagonist. But you, when you think about it, you're like, the buggers aren't actually present in the book, except for like that sort of unbeknownst to ender like they are <laughs> yeah you know yeah but other than that they're like they're this sort of like nameless monstrous it's an idea threat they're an idea yeah. yeah it's a good place to put it or a good a good way to phrase it um that they're this they're this idea so let's talk about like a little bit more about like what the buggers are because there let's are do it yeah there are three so coming out of ender's game which is the original sort of the, this is the origin of the Enderverse, right the Enderverse has three main series that come out of it the first is um the ender series it follows ender after he um leaves shakespeare the planet where he finds the formic queen and it follows him and it ends up like three thousand years a- ax right after the, the genocide and and ender's game 
or the Ender series is wacky. Like it's it's far out on the sci-fi realm. It's getting very soft into technology. Yeah, I will say I do enjoy without a doubt the Shadow series better than the Ender series. Sure, sure. So like the following up where fight on Earth rather mm-hmm. than like the very very sci-fi. Yeah, very <laughs> books sci-fi that version. Become. But the good thing about the Ender's series is that he's carrying with him the the Queen from Shakespeare, the planet Shakespeare. Yeah. So you get this like very in-depth view of what the psyche of a of the of the Formix looks like. He's having this telepathic communication with the Queen at all times. The second series that came out, the Shadow Saga, um like you said that you're talking about, it's following the events on Earth in like the 40 years AX, right? It's like basically zero to 40 AX-ish. How Peter became Hegemon. How P- Peter became Hegemon, like what all of these students besides Ender from Battle School did. All of them are characters, yep. almost. Like yeah. Eliza character, Peter, or not, well, yeah, Peter, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Petra is what I meant to say. Yeah. Petra, Dink, and, and namely Bean. Bean's kind of the main character. Um, the third one is the most recent that's been written. It's the Formic Wars series. And so it covers the first Formic War. So it's 100 years before the events of Ender's Game-ish. 40 million uh, approximately humans are killed in the in the... Good God. There's a lot of people die. That's absurd. And it's because the buggers first land in China. It's a very populated area. And so they wipe out a lot of Chinese people. It's Like you said, it's actually a scout ship, which is also really funny. So it's not really a war. It's like humanity fighting (laughs) a single scout ship. Except humanity views it as a war. They view it as a war. Yeah, like, who the fuck are these dudes? (laughs) Get away. (laughs) Get away. Um, So basically, there's actually not a queen. That's the important thing. There's a, a force of drones that are sent to Earth. And their job is to just eliminate all life. They're just, they're janitors. They're just there to clean up, right? Yeah. They're just going to, s- yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're just there. They're just going to like spray everything down, kill everything. They're going to set it all back to zero so that the buggers can come in and sort of implant their own, like their own plant life, their own life forms that they're like familiar with, right? They can terraform it into a planet that they know. I did this in Gaia Project. Yeah, I've done this. I've, I've played this. Game. Uh, yeah. I've played this. So that's like their job. It's extremely mechanical, right? Um, they're just they're just scouring everything that is not a bugger is just dead. The important thing here is that um, again, psyche of the of, of the Formix that the they believe basically they if you do not have that instantaneous communication, if you don't have that philotic connection, if you don't have that hive mind, right, that you're not a sentient life. They they define it entirely differently, and it become it becomes very apparent in the Ender's series that the way that they basically that queens have the ability to generate phylotic connections between other drones they also have the ability to take over phylotic connections amongst the drones so if they're not seeing phylotic connections as a possibility they don't consider it an like they don't consider it an intelligent form of life they think humans are basically just plants that are like around yep that's how they communicate right and communication is one of the pillars of sentience yeah and if you don't have what they see as communication, then you're not sentient. Right. And Graf kind of like, or not Graf, sorry, Mazer kind of talks about that. He's like, well, we're sending radio waves and stuff to them. I'm like, what if they're just not picking it up? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. The only reason we're fighting is we can't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, which, eh, yeah. Or maybe that is Graf. Actually, no, that is Graf that says yeah. that. Because I think it's on the, like, his journey to Eros that he, that they have that conversation. Um, <laughs> well spotted. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well done, Graf. Turns out you're smarter than everyone thinks. Anyway, so second Formic War comes around, right? This is like you said, it's five years later. Basically, that scout ship that was sent out, the rest of the colony fleet arrives. You know, the good thing is at this point, humans have had five years. They've had a scout ship essentially in orbit that they can like kind of tear apart. They're like technology has advanced. They're like kind of ready, right? We don't know as much about the second Formic War as we do the first Formic War because. Um, there are uh, Orson Scott Card is writing a trilogy for each. He has released all three books for the first Formic War, and it's like 
they're all earth something it's like earth of fire earth unaware earth unaware and earth awakens yeah and the uh the last three are like the hive the swarm and the queen in some order i don't remember which order they're in yeah and and he's not quite through that yet so we don't like quite know the events of this second formic war except for that we know that there's a battle around saturn mazer identifies the queen in the colony he blows her up and and like you said at that point the former kind of like realize like oh we 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 fucked up like (laughs) this this is not good we've been killing sentient beings the culture of the formics is sort of ex- or explored more in like the other works again they're kind of masters of bioengineering so they will generally make they, they make specific bugs basically that are good at like mining for them that are good at smelting for them that are good at creating like construction like constructing spaceships and stuff they, they will like bioengineer like a drone to kind of do that for them they are a collect- that's really cool yeah it is really cool right <laughs> it's like ender in exile talks about it a little bit more okay. yeah. than like the other than the other even than the other like ender series books gotcha cool um they are again though that collective of cooperating hive queens that they talk about at the end of ender's game um so there's actually not that many of them right there's like maybe a, a couple thousand or something like that hive queens like sentient hive queens at like when the genocide happens you know so they're like they're more i guess monotone in their ingenuity right they're, they're much more intelligent an individual hive queen is much more intelligent than a human but less able to like innovate because it's just one person they don't have many life forms outside of like the queen and like the worker drone that they kind of like talk about they have a couple of others that play like minor like roles um, but that's kind of like the their main like force, I guess, is like they're they're basically sending this one queen to go colonize the uh, colonize a, a new planet, and they're just spreading across the galaxy because they've never found anybody. I've all, they've never found anybody else that's intelligent. I've always kind of wondered like, have they wiped out anybody else? You know? Yeah. Have yeah, they wiped out good, anybody? That's a good. In, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Have they wiped out anybody that wasn't quite at space flight and couldn't fight them back like humans could? Yeah. You know. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. In, in like, yeah, normally they would have just showed up and burned everything. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. just scorch the earth, and then you know we're expanding. That's what we that's what we need to do. Yeah. Can we communicate with them using the Ansible? No. Cool. Nope. Just go. They're done. Yeah. So that yeah, I wonder how many <laughs> how many races they've wiped out. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. And it's it gets back to that like, are they evil or are they cruel? Right. They're probably cruel. They're just yeah. like they're it's it's like a hurricane or a tornado where they are heartless and cruel, but they're not evil they just are you know that's just like that's just what they are that kind of like contrasts though with like other villains in the series right like peter we would say is like okay he's past <laughs> cruel he's like into evil yeah yeah i, I think peter is definitely evil but i think <laughs> I, yeah so i think peter is one of the main villains in the story but i also think it's an interesting character because you wouldn't have ender without peter yeah so, <laughs> so yeah. like right you you get this like evil hegemon person that's taking over the world who like manipulates and he's like you know manipulating the world stage at 14 years old right but ender wouldn't have had the i need to end this at all cost if it weren't for peter right Right. it talks about the cruelty one of the things that i thought was really interesting that i picked up on this last read through is how we, we were talking about how ender is so special because he can see through the minds or through the perspective of the buggers Right. And it talks about in like the very first chapter when Ender gets his monitor removed after he's killed Stilson, um, when he goes back to his house and like Peter is picking on Ender because uh-huh. he got his monitor removed. It's like, hey, you didn't make it either. Yada, yada. Let's play Space Spaceman and uh, Bugger. Or yeah. Yeah. Whatever they call that. Whatever it called. But it's like and then Ender, who is always the bugger, where he puts on the mask and it's like a very like physical like, hey, I'm putting on, I'm looking through the bugger's eyes. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think there's a line in there that even says, like, that we are the aliens to them. 
right? Like he we, does, yeah. And it's and he's like slimies or whatever. Like he comes up with like a slang term. For yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Slimy. Yeah. Where you know they call him the bugger. Where really they're the formic, right? It's right. it's that nickname. I think it's kind of an interesting because Peter is so cruel. You know, he's beating Ender. Like right, mm-hmm. he has to destroy the bugger, and that helps Ender see. It's like this is what they see us as. We are yeah. we are killing them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're fighting them. We're trying to kill them. But like it's so like perfect of him just like literally putting on the head of a bugger. That's a really good point. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> foreshadowing right there at the beginning of yeah. the book. And I think that like the book overall has a lot of dialogue and commentary on like what is good and what is evil, you know, kind of thing. So there's a lot of like back and forth on that. Dink is the first person to kind of highlight like the the students aren't the enemy, the adults are the enemy. Yep. Yeah. You know? That's another really interesting like oh, like the adults are trying to make us into commanders and better, but they also are willing to sacrifice us in order to do that, right? Graf is very much willing for Bonzo to die. Yeah, in order for and he's willing to, to risk Ender's life, mm-hmm. right? I actually have in here, like under villains, the adults, Graf is an interesting character. <laughs> <laughs> because like Graf understands the, psych- the psyche of these children and he understands mm-hmm. the psyche of ender and that's why you know they send him to command school with ender because he's the one that understands ender he's seen through his eyes literally with the monitor mm-hmm. and he risks it all with that fight in the shower right yeah he knows it's gonna happen and <laughs> yeah they talk about bonzo fought with spanish honor right he took him on one-on-one he didn't jump him five on one if you jumped him five on one ender's dead human race is dead yeah right <laughs> like and, and he's just willing to gamble and i think that that's almost like it, it worked out in the end, <laughs> but like, <laughs> damn, that's a gamble. <laughs> like, so I, I, yeah, I, I think that the, the way that the teachers manipulate the children is pretty evil. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, we, we talk about, does the end justify the means? Mm-hmm. It's like, and they talk about this. I don't remember if it's inner game or under shadow. We keep saying this, but like, it, like they keep saying that, like our lives are forever changed and I'm 12. Right. Yeah. Like I cannot live a normal life. Right. Like yeah. these commanders sacrifice me to save everyone. And right. everyone's like, I'm okay with that. But I just wanted to be known that that happened. <laughs> yeah. Petra has like a line at the end of Ender's game where she says um, something. They're like, what are, what are they going to do with us now that like this is all over? And she's like, oh, we have to go to school. You have to go to school <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, And they all laugh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a funny, like. I want that spinoff series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They all go to regular school. Yeah, it's just a slice of life anime kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Petra kills three people in the hallway. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But it, you're right that, like, Graf is a really interesting character because, like, again, he's probably an antagonist. Like, I don't know if he's actually a villain. He's just, like, the guy that is setting obstacles for the hero. It, it, you can put yourself in his shoes and say, like, I could see how someone would need to make that call. I don't know if personally I could make that call. I, I'm going to allow children yeah, no. to die. For yeah, this. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think I could do that, but I could see how someone would need to. You know, he's an understandable character. What I boiled it down to is like, I don't know if there is a villain of the story. Like everyone mm. has good, everyone has bad. And I think that's what makes it such an interesting story to read through. Yeah. Where it's like, sure. you can point to the antagonist, but you can't point to necessarily the evil person in the story. Yeah. Or like the villain of the story, which yeah. I just, I, I just think is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely differs from like our kind of like standard fantasy arc. Yeah, right? there's oh Voldemort, he's the evil guy. He's the evil guy, <laughs> right? Yeah, that and it, it's cool because it like kind of starts out that way and then it like uh, deviates from that. You yeah. like, think you have a you think it's set up in your mind to to go to play out a certain way and it and then it doesn't. I think the other way that it plays out that way to me is actually in the climax. Like in the book, the climax happens sooner than in a lot of books, right? Yeah. The, in other words, the falling action is very long, and I think that that's done intentionally and and very well because 
it sort of builds the illusion or it supports the illusion in the reader of like, oh, there's more to come after command school. Right. Like I'm not at the end of the book yet. I'm, I'm not like it feels like it's building up to something. And, and the final battle in command school at Eros, where he's like he is fighting with his like Jish and there's like this tiny force against a whole planet of buggers. Like it feels very climactic, but it also because there has been multiple tension points along the way of the story, it kind of just feels like the first time you read it, it feels like another tension point. Right. And there's like there's still more left in the book. And so you're like, oh, Ender's still going to have his last fight somewhere right Right. it helps you kind of buy in as the reader kind of buy into the illusion that ender is buying into that this isn't the climax yet yeah and i think that we talked about this the first time that i read the book Mm -hmm. where i was like blown away because i didn't realize that it wasn't a simulation right Right. and then like i was like it can't be because there's an hour and a half or two hours left in the book yeah right like this can't be the climax because it's not the end of the book like right so cool he did it let's go to let's mm-hmm. let's let's go to the real invasion now yeah and i also think that that's a really interesting way that orson scott card like almost meta gamed the book yeah for sure <laughs> yeah i just thought it was a genius way it's like i was super super surprised super surprised but then like the falling action is really good it doesn't feel like yeah, it, it really on. is no know? yeah it doesn't drag on it like shows the aftermath of everything which is what we want a resolution to do yeah it's the story sp- like spokes at that point like the, it goes into a lot of different directions and mm-hmm. it sets up the shadow saga and ender's game or mm-hmm. the the ender's saga where it's like you know the russians like try and take over eros right mm-hmm. like they are there and the russians try and abolish the second warsaw pack on earth and like all of these things that you know Locke and demosthenes are warning against happen yeah which sets up the shadow saga and then yeah. they find the egg which is like and you gotta get to learn and i think that's a that's really interesting and like the second twist of the book is that you realize that the buggers thought they weren't or didn't realize that they were eliminating sentient life yeah and so like that's the second twist and then so like it feels like the climax is interesting like it's it's almost like a three act structure almost yeah where like the climax comes in the second act and i think that one's like an equilateral triangle where the rising action the falling action are equal links whereas this one's not more of an isosceles triangle (laughs) but like it does it it is like the last two hours of the book i mean it's not like right at the you know yeah like right in the middle or something like that yeah no i yeah i just thought that was a really crazy literary device that he used to put the climax not at the end to make it feel like it wasn't the climax yeah and and it totally works because like you get to see ender kind of like resolve into the like empathetic human that he wants to be right he again he becomes the speaker of the dead this like extreme kind of implication or, or um example i guess this extreme example of like what an empathetic human could be he gets to like play that out he gets to play out like his um empathy for the buggers and he gets to like learn about them and understand them and he gets to like you know do that he gets to like uh lead people but now he's no longer leading people in conquest he's leading people like through government right and he's just yeah. understanding them you know and so he gets like this whole like resolution he gets to go off with valentine right yeah who's like the only person who you like really truly loved from yeah. his family or maybe even just really truly loved besides yeah. like i think the only two other people like get closer like a lie and bean right yeah. yeah um so he gets to kind of like have like that resolution where he like pseudo marries val right? <laughs> yeah and they get to like fly off into the sunset or whatever yeah and i think it also like kind of works for the reader right because it's told from a uh, a third person limited narration style, right? Uh-huh. So you feel for Ender, you feel like you're in the mind of Ender, right? Right, and if you end after he committed xenocide, that's a pretty shitty way to end. <laughs> yeah, and like you're gonna feel bad after you. Like, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person, right? Like I I related to Ender. I feel like I am Ender. I just killed a lot of 
people like right <laughs> yeah but like and then you know he finds the egg he he like becomes the person that you want ender to become yeah like he he needed to be who he was mm-hmm. and he's progressed to who he is now and right. i think that that it's a very satisfying conclusion yeah, or self-actualization yeah, yeah for sure and, and i think it supports the like the betrayal too of the of the teachers you know because yeah. you feel betrayed personally yeah when, like they reveal like this was the final fight and ender's like it was what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just did what? <laughs> yeah. And what's really sad is that Ender, that's the second time he gave up, mm-hmm. right? He mm-hmm. gave up when he transferred the army to Bean, when mm-hmm. he was fighting the two armies in the battle room. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I give up. Like, And then he even says that. It's like, I'm not, I don't care. They can put their slips on the floor. They can push them through the door. I'm not going. Mm-hmm. And they realize that they take him out of battle school. In command school, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. He goes, everyone's here. I don't want to do this anymore. If I use this on the on the planet, maybe they'll kick me out. They'll see that I'm not the person that can do this, mm-hmm. and I don't have to do it anymore, which is really sad. Really <laughs> like sad. afterwards, because you realize that like he doesn't have to do it anymore, but he did what he didn't want to do. Yeah, because they tricked him. <laughs> it's yeah. like oh, oof. yeah, and it, it does feel very sad in that yeah, sense. For sure. So let's talk about like if you, if a listener read Ender's Game and they want to read more. Like we said, there's there's 20 books total, two of which are planned, not released yet. So there's 18 like books and novellas released in the Ender verse, right? All of the um, books that are written around Ender's Game. I think we would both agree. Kind of like the natural assumption is if you read Ender's Game and liked it, your next book should be Ender's Shadow. <laughs> yeah, and that's the best of all of the books. <laughs> it it really is, and like it is not repetitive. Like, yeah, it I sounds think, like it will be when we just I think it that's what I like. That was my hesitation going into Ender Shadow. It's like, I just read the. I don't want this story to be the same. Right. But like now, whenever I reread Ender's Game, I read them both back to back. Like, I do not not read Ender's Shadow. Yeah. Whenever yeah. I read Ender's Game. Yeah. Because it would feel like when you read Stormlight Archives, when you read Game of Thrones, something that's written from like a multiple person third person limited right that's what it feels like it feels like this is just another perspective of what's going on in the book almost like another you know what i mean like if it had been written as one book ender's game ender's shadow just alternating between chapters of being and ender it would have made sense as a book it was just released as two yeah <laughs> you know so you can totally read it and it's not repetitive it's just like another part of the story yeah from there again there are three main there are three main kind of series that you could read and they're, they're all pretty, they're all pretty unique, I guess. Like they go in different directions. You don't need to read one and then read the other. You could, they're like totally different ideas, which is kind of odd, I guess, in sci-fi. Yeah. 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 Um, but again, Ender's, uh, the Ender's series picks up with speaker for the dead as the next one. Um, and it follows Ender 3000 years in the future where he's not 3000 years old. He's like 40 or something. Yeah. Um, Light speed. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And he finds that, that next alien race and it's kind of that that trifecta between the buggers that he's carrying with him the piggies are kind of like the new alien race um and the humans um and what that and again it gets into very soft if you like like traditional sci-fi if you like it to be like kind of way out there and kind of like a thought experiment almost this is the most philosophical of the series this is kind of like playing around with like what does it mean to like coexist and, and, and you know um so i've i've really enjoyed it um i've read it twice i probably wish i've only read it once you know, I think it's worth That's reading fair. that one time. Yeah. Um, I read it once. I'm not, I don't have any plans to read it again. Yeah. Yeah. Next we have the Shadow Saga. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So the Shadow Saga kind of follows uh, after Ender's Shadow. So it follows Bean as the main character with Petra and Ali and mm-hmm. a couple of other people. But it's all talking about 
what's kind of teased at the end of Ender's Game, where the Russians try and attack and trying to take over mm-hmm. uh, Eros. They do the same thing on Earth, which is kind of what Locke and Demosthenes were talking about. How mm-hmm. you know they're looking at abolishing the Warsaw Pact. Their Russians are moving the troops, but it's basically following all the. I guess it, like <laughs> like I'm thinking of it as like the tactical movements on Earth because like mm-hmm. we're talking at a galactic scale now, so it's not like strategic, <laughs> yeah. but it is like all of Earth, right? It's how Peter rises rises to power as hegemon. The the next forty years, I think Peter dies at like fifty. Like he's he's fifty seven. Yeah, he's really young. Yeah, but like it it follows Bean and how. He, it kind of goes into in Ender's Shadow how being like this is Ender's game, this is Ender's war, the mm-hmm. buggers. My war's back on Earth. Yeah, it's and a very political, very series. political. Um, again, it is like it's very militaristic, very tactical. Yeah. Um, Peter is a very strong main character. Like, yes. He's, he's very prevalent in the series. Yeah. And so yeah, really good. It's just like it, it's a deviation. Both series are deviations from Ender's game. They feel very different. Right? Yeah, you're you're not gonna get the same satisfaction from either of these series from what you got when reading Ender's Game. For sure. Actually, the closest that you will get to Ender's Game, I think, is actually the Formix trilogies. And the separate from either of those, there are, again, there's a trilogy that follows the first Formic War, and there's a trilogy that follows the second Formic War. Um, Mazer Rockham is a, or Rackham, whatever, yeah. is, a, is a major character in both of those. He's not the only character. Um, there are other sort of Ender-like characters. First of all, we should say, Orson Scott Card loves writing Ender into any book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we read other works by him, <laughs> and like Ender is a character. He's just named something else. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That's true in the um, Formic series. Like There are characters that are like, oh, this is Ender, just like name something else, yeah. right? Ender was reborn. Ender was reborn <laughs> as like a little chinese kid in china yeah um during the first formic war and and so like it, it feels that way again like the buggers are the bad guys right there's like space fights you know so there's not this like politics there's not this philosophy it's like humanity fighting the buggers and they're and they're like characters both in, both in mazer rockham and like in some other like um, characters that are introduced I, I will say i've read through the first trilogy twice um, I haven't read anything on the second trilogy yet. I don't remember a lot of the third book of the second trilogy, even though I've read it twice. That I was going to say, like, I've read it once. I don't remember it. Yeah. Right? And it's very forgettable. It's very forgettable. And so <laughs> I think, like, if you were looking for something to just, like, read in the background while you were doing other things, yeah, sure, like, pick it up if you got it free from a library, you know? <laughs> two, um, cheers. <laughs> two cheers. Two cheers. If you have it free, yeah, read it, Don't, but don't pay for it. Because um, it, it was fine. It, it wasn't good. It was fine. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I, I feel bad when we talk about Ender's Game because it's like we love Ender's Game, we love Ender's Shadow, and the rest of it's like, eh, if you if you have nothing else, to do. <laughs> we have other recommendations for you. We have other recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. Read Ender's Shadow, though. Yeah, I think we've said. Shadow. I think I've hit my quote of twenty times of saying that this podcast. So I yeah. think we're good now. I would say if you if you have read Ender's Shadow and you are like willing to tip your toe into something, I think Speaker of the Dead. The first of the Ender series is the next one to read. Yeah. Only because you get the idea of like who the piggies are and you get to like kind of like it's also all the other books that he writes as opposed to Ender's Game, Ender's Shadow are fairly slow. Like we talked about like Ender's Game, Ender's Shadow, it feels like you can't remove a sentence. Yeah. The other books don't feel that way. They're longer. They're they, longer. They drag. Yeah. Um, but Speaker for the Dead moves pretty quickly. And like you at least get the philosophy of like what could other alien species like within this physics system what could they look like i also think that speaker for the dead provides a little bit of background information that you don't necessarily get in ender's game through yeah. the eyes of the formic so yeah for sure the, like it will check at least slightly check most of the boxes <laughs> yeah that you're looking for. yeah yeah but yeah that's 
kind of all I have, unless you have anything like last remarks that you want to throw in there. No, I think I've gotten all of my uh, all of my <laughs> ideas out. It's been a really good conversation. It really has been. I, I I really enjoyed this one. It was it was kind of interesting because when we did Lord of the Rings, it was such a vast universe that we kind of talked about. Whereas Ender's Game, we tried to focus on a single book. And yeah. I thought that was a lot. That, this one was. They're both very fun and very interesting. I thought it was just yeah. kind of different, and so it was fun. For yeah, sure, yeah. Um. So yeah, we got a lot more fun, interesting series analysis coming up. Yep. Uh, so stay tuned for those because we're really excited to dive into more series that we love. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, uh, you can check us out on Discord. So we have our Discord server. You can go onto the website, which we also have a website. You can see that. <laughs> so you can go on to fancy, 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 uh, There's a link for <laughs> that was dumb. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was awesome. <laughs> there's a link for our Discord. There's a link for our Instagram, Twitter, yep. all of that stuff. Our show notes will be there. So go check us out. We yep. love talking with you guys. Yeah, so, talk with us about Ender's Game. Yeah, talk with us about Ender's Game because we got we got a uh, spoilers channel up for Ender's Game on the Discord. Discord. So yep. you are more than welcome to go in there and, you know, say the buggers are good people um, <laughs> and the simulation is real if you want to. In that we are in the simulation. Yeah, that's, yeah. A different, that's a different show yeah. or a different movie. Um, I, and, and also I haven't do seen it, that one. Yeah, you haven't seen that one. Um, but also do what Nathan did. You know, we're going to be setting up the spoiler-free channels as we get ready for um, episodes. So as we, we come up and we say, hey, we're going to do, you know, movie X or, or book X coming up, go ahead and go in there and post some questions for us to address during the podcast episode. We'd love to address Yeah, I would those. love that. That'd be, yeah. yeah, that'd be really cool. For sure. So, um, If you don't have anything else, this was an (laughs) awesome episode. I'm really glad to talk with you. So cheers, buddy. Cheers.